All right, welcome everybody to the Two Heads and Tails podcast. Uh, this show is going to get me in trouble, I think, Warren. Yeah, we have five whiskeys, <laughs> yeah. and only one of them is not barrel strength. <laughs> oh, sweet lord! Yeah, you know you're you're pouring uh, the spirits into our nice little sample glasses, mm-hmm. and I can I can smell all the sweet. You know, f- aromatics of the uh, of the spirits, man, and I just oh, I, yeah. I can't uh, I, I can't imagine that this is the life that this is the timeline that we're part of right now in the world. <laughs> Your timeline's getting better. <laughs> That's definitely Here true. Uh, as a, for a guest to, on this month's show, we have Iron Root Republic Distillery from Denison, Texas, which is uh, way up north there, almost yeah. almost Oklahoma territory, almost. Yeah, and they're doing a lot of whiskey. They're doing a lot of whiskey, and apparently, it's a lot with like corn and corn blends and different kinds of corn. Yeah, and I'm that's really all they have out there, right? Sure. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm super fascinated about it. I'm really interested to talk to them about it. We're going to have Jonathan and Robert on, uh, two brothers. Oh, nice. Apparently, the Licorice Brothers. The Licorice Brothers. Yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. I I was like, I'm not even gonna try the uh, anybody's last name because I'm just bad at it. I can barely remember people's first names. Uh, yeah, I, hey man, it sound it looks great. I've I've seen photos of the distillery online, um, yeah. reading a bunch of articles. They've won tons of awards already. Uh, really, yeah. really looking forward to it. They've only been around for about five years now, almost. So yeah, something like that. Relatively new on the scene for whiskey. It's not the prettiest distillery. It used to be a uh, boat. They repaired boats there or something. It's sort of Looks like every other building you've ever seen. Oh, but, the uh, um, the uh, location. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I do believe they are uh, looking at other locations to expand into as well. Nice. And uh, Eric from ADI, of course, is uh, sitting in, who's uh, slowly becoming apparently our third chair, Warren. Yes. Yeah. He just took over. He's <laughs> <laughs> just coming in. But he and he brought some spirits. You guys had your uh, your annual taste. You're judging, not tasting, right? Yeah. The this judging was this week at the lodge at Tiburon. Not a bad location to I would, taste some spirits. Yeah, I would imagine. Nice views of SF off in the distance. Nice. And, uh, yeah, a little uh, three days of tasting spirits, two days straight. Last day is the grand panel, and it all wraps up. Okay. About 50 people out there, 50 judges, 15 stewards. It's it's a, uh, it's it's three of the best days of the year for us. Right. Yes. I can imagine. And you were saying before the before the show went on that uh, the stewards get first dibs on bottles, like to just take home. Well, I don't I, I think so. Yes. Oh, I, I don't know how much was I'm supposed to be talking that? about. Oh, no. This is more of an Eric Zandona question. Oh. But yes, there are perks. Well, we know what Eric did. <laughs> he took all of the bottles he wanted first. That's true. Well, uh, you know what? That's uh, that's a perk in and of itself. <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. I definitely want to get out there next year. Maybe we can plan for it, Warren. And, yeah. but you, I don't know if you'll even be here. Maybe we could judge well, for what it. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right, well, let's get the boys on the line. We should have Jonathan and Robert right now from Iron Root Republic Distillery. Can you guys hear us? We can hear you. Yeah. Perfect. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. So let me start off with uh, just asking a general question about the name, Iron Root Republic. Where does that come from, and, and how does that fit in with uh, with your guys' culture of where you want the distillery to be and, and what you want it to be representative of? So Iron Root comes from the history of Denison itself, the city that we're located in. Um, it's a little bit of a long story, but uh, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, a gentleman lived in Denison whose name was T.V. Munson. He was a 
kind of a famous American viticulturist. And what his big goal was, was try to figure out how to grow European grapes in the United States, because we have all these diseases that would kill grapes, uh, uh, a lot of grapes after a few years, especially something called phylloxera. Um, and so he discovered that there was actually a Texas grapefruit that is, uh, because of how thick and hardy it is, it's actually fairly immune to phylloxera. Um, around that same time, phylloxera had been transferred over to France and wiped out, I think it was nearly 80% of the French grapes. Wow. Uh, cognac was completely decimated. And so they had been sending uh, basically scientists out to the U.S. to see if they could do anything to, to fight it. And so T.V. Munson uh, met up with one of their scientists, and they discovered that this Texas root was the uh, source to a lot of their problems. So they actually use, uh, started using the Texas grape roots with a lot of their native grapes, uh, like Full Blanche, to, in order to start regrowing those plants, uh, those grapes in cognac. Um, so it's one of the things that they say helped save the uh, uh, cognac industry. And so for that reason, Denison and Cognac are sister cities. Um, I mean, we have a really close relationship with a lot of the, um, uh, as far as city-wise and sister city stuff. Um, uh, for that reason, Jonathan and I have had the pleasure of working with some of the uh, uh, French distillers and talking with them. It's been a really great oh, relationship wow. for us. And it kind of works with us because we actually were trained uh, by uh, Nancy Fraley and really a lot of what we do comes from more of a brandy tradition from how we run the stills to how we do aging in the warehouse. So I say it's the iron grapefruits from Texas that save the cognac industry. From phylloxera. I think my grandpa used to take phylloxera. That's why you're so hard every day. That's right, yeah. Uh, he never lived a better life. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, so, what, so you talked about training. Uh, what kind of training did you guys... Uh, get and how did you how did you bring it you know into your distillery and the spirits that you're producing? Uh, so I mean, early on when we were back working on trying to figure out you know figure out you know just whether we wanted to be a distillery or start a distillery or not, we actually started looking to see what kind of programs are in place. And the reality is there wasn't a whole lot out there back in you know 2008 2009 time mm -hmm. period. So um, ADI was doing some really great stuff. I know you've met with those guys uh, before. Um, but one of the uh, people that puts on classes through them is Hubert Germain Robon. He's a famous uh, uh, distiller out in California. Um, he started a brandy distillery, uh, Germain Robon. Um, and he's actually a master cognac distiller that had come over from uh, cognac. So him and one of his apprentices, Nancy Fraley, do a lot of uh, do, do brandy classes. So I ended up going out there and taking some classes from them and kind of fell in love with brandy and how the French approach distilling. And um, from there, Jonathan and I uh, kind of toured around the rest of the U.S. and doing internships and working with distilleries all across the country and then huh. decided to start our own. Okay. What's what's different, and, and I don't want to, you know, you don't have to give away any secrets. You don't have to, but if you want you to, you're more than welcome to. How does uh, what the French were doing, how does it differ in, in, in from what you were doing or from what you knew? And then, I guess more importantly, how do you apply that to something that is such a, like an American spirit like bourbon? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple of differences uh, out the gate um, in the production side, um, and some of them get pretty technical as far as controlling your condensing water differently in order to influence the the, uh, the aromatics that are coming off the still, etc. But uh, kind of the the thing that we can most apply to say bourbon actually mm -hmm. happens in the warehouse, um, huh. where 
bourbon is typically, you know, real heavy oak, um, all, and especially in Texas. Um, so what we found is using some French cognac techniques, we can actually kind of mitigate some of that wood extraction um, and try and, and kind of keep that in balance uh, with, with uh, the rest of the spirit in and of itself, as well as the aromatics of the spirit. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're just, you're trying to control how much oak impact you're getting into yeah. your spirit. Is that just because you don't really like overly oaky spirits or because you guys are working with corn, which we'll get to in a little bit, but different varietals of corn and you want that to show through more? Or is it any one thing? Uh, it's it's going to be a mixture of all of those. So one of them, like you mentioned, we do use some heirloom corns and we really want to kind of highlight those flavors. And if you do over oak it, it's just going to cover it up. Right. Um, so, and, and like I said before, it gets really extreme in Texas. So sometimes the, the oak <laughs> down here can, can stick out more like a sore thumb than as, as kind of a, uh, an interesting aspect of that whiskey. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all that things get extreme in Texas. <laughs> I think that's where the X games were founded. Actually. <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, let's talk, uh, let's talk some, some corn and some heirloom corn. Uh, why did you, what made you guys go with heirloom corn versus just the, I imagine everybody else uses just generic yellow corn, like the Safeway corn, like Safeway corn, Tom Hill corn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so no, uh, most commonly used is just going to be a, a yellow dent. Um, there's there's a ton of different varieties of yellow dent out there. Mm. Um, and what's mostly grown in our area, uh, specifically up by Denison, is going to be corn and wheat, um, and mostly corn. So we, we kind of wanted to go with what was in our local area. Uh, that's kind of where we focus first is on local. So about 95% of our current grain usage comes within about 60 miles of the distillery. Oh, wow. Uh, so that being said, we did kind of specify down the type of corn we wanted to use from there. Um, so we use a non-GMO yellow dent corn uh, for that specifically because it has uh, a little bit higher protein content to it. Uh, a lot of those yellow dents are bred for things other than distilling. So in mm. case of uh, just for flavor, you're going to want to get a pretty sweet corn. You're going to have a lot of sugar to a lot of carbohydrate. Um, from a different type of distilling aspect, if you want to make ethanol fuel, you want a bunch of carbohydrate. Um, so, but uh, sometimes when you're looking for flavor, uh, that's actually on a different different side of the coin. So that's actually in the protein content or the amino acid. Um, and so when we were when we look at our corns, uh, we're really looking for more protein content. I mean, we still have to have enough in order for us to make whiskey. Right. Uh, but we still want a lot of flavor and to kind of build that complexity. Hmm. Okay. When I first met Jonathan, I asked him, he made sure to point out that they were non-GMO. And I was like, you know, you're in Texas. I wouldn't imagine your customers are so interested in it being GMO versus non-GMO. That seems more like a West Coast Whole Foods type thing. <laughs> right, and in yeah, Berkeley. it is that sort of difference between corn that's grown for cattle feed which is, versus heritage varietals and so i had always ah, okay. sort of wondered about what does non-gmo mean and so after talking to jonathan i really it's 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 about heritage varietals varietals with more flavor and yeah, right more of the stuff that, that they're looking for in the finished spirit versus uh in a gas tank yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> it sounds like cows aren't as picky yeah that's right well how do you develop a, a a blend of of corns how do you develop a recipe that's what kind of interests me a lot in in the spirits world in your guys world especially from a relatively new distillery how do you figure out how to make um, a spirit that's going to age uh, and then know what it's going to taste like at the end 
I think uh, at some levels we we don't know what some of them are going to taste like at the end. <laughs> okay. uh, a lot of them will start out as experiments, and it helps out to be ADD. Um, so, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so we like experimenting. I mean, Jonathan. I mean, he just finished ordering the different corns for this year's experimentations, but uh, we kind of like running the house where we have our four kind of core main mash bills that we do. Um, again, three of those feature different heirloom corns, and then one has a little bit of rye in it. And then we have uh, the what we call the ADD set of mash bills that we do every year where we're trying out new varietals that we found that I and Jonathan's, it's like Christmas Day when he gets the seed book around here. He's flipping through it and reading it, <laughs> uh, whatever he can. How's new? What, what new rainbow color of uh, corn he can find that year? Right. Um, and so, again, it's one of those things that we put it down. We, we try it off the still. A lot of times that will give us a really good idea of what we're going to be dealing with ultimately, whether we're dealing with a little bit spicier or herbal grain or whether you have something that's going to be really sweet or uh, floral, and you can get a lot of early notes off of just the distillate off the still. But what really shows is about a year and a half to two years into the barrel, really what you're going to be dealing with ultimately. And so okay. that's when things get really exciting around here. Yeah, as opposed to kind of your traditional bourbon technique where you're, you're going to end up having a, your flavoring grain either be wheat or rye. Mm -hmm. um, and some of our mash bills will actually use other types of corn as the flavoring grain. So we kind of took, it's kind of a traditional approach by having a flavoring grain, but it's not traditional in the fact that it's corn. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. So it's corn on top of corn on some, in some mash bills. Um, and we like to keep them fairly clean to where we have just say two, um, two different corns in one mash bill. So basically our base corn and then the flavoring corn. And when we do it that way, we can really tell what those flavors are of that specific corn at the end of the day. Hmm. So. Okay, so it's not you're not just trying different stuff and go oh, that doesn't work. Let me throw this out and try something new. It's I'm going to commit to making to to running this or filling however many barrels at a time, and then you know if that doesn't work, I'll look back in my notes from when I did this a year ago and go okay, let's tweak this recipe out or this percentage out. Yeah, we originally thought hey let's try and do small batch and and kind of you know do some tests on it, and then uh, everything seemed to work out pretty well with our, our techniques. Um, mm -hmm. On, on using the flavoring grain. So we we do about five barrels uh, at a time as far, for our experiments. Oh, wow. And if it tastes really good off the still, we, we may lay down 10. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's your first indicator. There is, yeah. there is the dynamic between the two brothers, too. Robert's sort of the business side of things, and uh, Jonathan's more the science side of things. And uh, Jonathan's always pushing it out there like, more experiments, but uh, Robert's like, got to pay the bills. We can all, you, you only have these these experiments, so make well, most of them. And I, I think you need that in a partnership. You know what I mean? It's like Roy and Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Should be There's got to be a gas and a break. That's, <laughs> that's right. Otherwise, it's a bad car. Right. <laughs> Last thing you want to do is pop it in neutral and just yeah, go. Just Are you we guys? I haven't tried that yet, but. Uh... <laughs> Now that you guys have been around long enough, are you getting to really see that the the results of the first round of experiments to where now you get to actually apply what you're what you've been learning? In fact, we just finished tasting the first real round of experiments after our I'll say our first initial stuff as we were getting started, but the first real experiments we just tasted I'd say uh, earlier this week. So because they all just hit two years old, so it's really 
it was a really exciting time this week tasting through the barrel room. Um, uh, there's definitely one corn that I can tell you that we went back and uh, have now engaged our farmers to start growing more of that corn for us because that's going to be going into much wider production just because of how wonderful it turned out. Nice. nice. Does it make you optimistic or concerned about last year's experiments? <laughs> uh, optimistic. Yeah. Yes. There we go. Good. Maybe not on wood. We actually haven't had any experiments that w- that weren't something that we could use or, or um, you know, thought we were going to have to dump them down the drain. Yeah, I, I can imagine you're not going super far out in the left field with some, you know, weird ingredient. Uh, you want to keep it a little bit, a little bit contained in, in some sort of, you know, usefulness. Yeah, most of the time. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, once in a while, we'll have something that's a little, a little crazy out in left field. Yeah. There's, there's the- one experiment back in the back. I don't know what we're going to be able to call it or what it's going to be, but it's delicious. It, it, it tastes <laughs> tasty, but I don't know what we're going to do with it yet. That's what's, more of a federal labeling thing. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's so special about it? What's weird about it? Uh, it's made from mesquite beans and not like the pods being like boiled like they normally would do. This is actually opening up the pods and taking these tiny seeds and the ground them into a flour and then using that in a, in a whiskey mash. (laughs) I think I spoke too soon when I said, it's not like you're, you know, taking weird stuff. Is that, is that common? Is that like a common thing to use mesquite pod flour for other stuff and you just incorporate it? Or you guys just were drinking a lot one night. It's used in, in some, like, cookies, and some people use it for uh, different baking aspects. Um, okay. So I, I think it's, it's mostly in diabetic cuisine <laughs> okay. uh, because of the sugars in it. But, um, but uh, no, we, we used it just in a small percentage with that yellow dent, so it was uh, the non-GMO corn that we have. So it was, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was a calculated risk on it. <laughs> there you go. What <laughs> flavors did you get out of it? Oh, that's... That's the great, greatest part about it. So we were a little bit uh, lucky in the fact that we distilled both bourbon and brandy here. Okay. Because it was kind of a combination of both. So really? a, a lot of the uh, the cuts at the front, uh, right when the heads were coming off and things like that, that was a lot like you're, you're doing cuts on brandy as opposed to bourbon. Huh. Uh, but on the tails end of it, uh, it was it was much more like cutting whiskey. A bunch of whiskey fusels on the back end. Yeah. And it, st- it still feels a little bit like brandy and whiskey mixed together uh, in okay. the barrel. So it's brisky. It's, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a brisky. brisky. Right. When you said federal labeling issues, is that because of the shutdown, as we're talking about? Like you're ready to go or you just don't know what to call it legally? No, we don't. We don't it's it's going to have to be a distilled spirit specially because the government has no idea what to do with distilled beans. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, technically, it's a legume. Yeah, legume. So, oh. so it's that's not something that they've ever dealt with before. So I imagine we'll have to send it in for sampling for them to – Make sure. Sure. I bet it'll be a very uh, speedy process, too. Don't worry about it. Oh, most definitely. It always is. We don't know what this is? Uh, Sure. Why not? We'll trust you guys. Maybe now's the time to do it and just be like, hey, you guys weren't in the office, so, you know, too late. You know what? There there is. We were going to find it. Intern day. That's right. We were um, on our beer show on the session. We were reading a story about a uh, a Washington, D.C. brewery that's suing the government for the shutdown because they uh, they want to release beer. But they couldn't get label approval, and they're like, "Well, it's you know, you're you're in, in, infringing what on my First Amendment rights yep. of free speech." So I wonder if you can do that. And they're they're looking for relief from the government to be like, "Hey, 
you can't sue or please don't sue us or, you know, what, whatever the language is. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, you can't come after us if we release our kegs and our bottles uh, without federal label approval. So, you know, maybe it maybe Warren's right. Maybe now is the time. <laughs> yeah. Ask for forgiveness later. Yeah. Stake your whole future on this one weird. Slip it past the goalie. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, let's taste some spirits, Warren, because I keep smelling yeah. it and uh, I'm now I'm really thirsty. Yeah. Do you guys have a recommendation as far as a tasting order between the, the corn whiskey and the three bourbons that we have? We generally start lower proof and work our way up, okay. uh, with the exception of one that you have there called uh, Icarus. We'll probably save that one for last. Okay. All right. So let's see. I have a list of the proofs here, Warren, unless you know them off the top of your well, head. On the bottles. Okay. At least 190 proof. The XC bourbon. That's yes. the low. Right. Which is That's right here. Okay. okay. What's XC? That's the Roman numeral for 90. Oh. So when, when we were naming the, uh, <laughs> it's actually the the, the uh, lower proof version of, of one of the other whiskeys we're going to try in a second um, called Harbinger. Um, I didn't want to call it, you know, Little Harbinger or Weak Harbinger or something like that. <laughs> so we, we thought XC sounded better. Uh, <laughs> well, and you confuse dummies like me and going like, I don't, I mean, what is it? It's probably for something cool. Uh, you know, <laughs> it and sounds it is. extra cool. It, that one. it really That's does. XC actually stands for. Yeah. Cool. yeah. 90 proof. All right. Okay. So this is kind of our intro whiskey. It's, supposed to, uh, it's blended to be kind of sweet and easy drinking, really. Okay. It smells great. So wow. as far as far as mash billing it, so when Rob was talking about our four core mash bills, yeah, we do those and then we age them up, and then depending how we blend those barrels uh, in different ratios depends on which product we get at the end. Um, so if, if you're familiar in in the bourbon world, the, probably the closest thing to how we do things production wise, probably four roses, where they have multiple mash bills and multiple yeast they use and things like that. Okay. Uh, and so what we do with this one is we actually lean a little bit heav heavier on two of our heirloom corns. Um, for flavor, and so this one is going to have a lot of the purple corn flavor that we have, as well as something called bloody butcher corn. Why is that familiar? We've talked about bloody butcher corn too before, right? Yes, yeah, so there are other distillers using uh, bloody butcher right now. There's um, a lot of them. Yeah, it yeah. Was, I can uh, see why. That's market right there. Berry flavor to it, so they, it's, it's real popular. Yeah. It was a couple episodes ago. Okay. The name is uh, Brown. And right and brown, and brown. Oh, yeah, yeah. Earl from Earl, brown. Yes, yeah. The the nose definitely smells like corn, and that make that makes no sense. Not like cooked corn, and I I know a lot of people, <clears throat> you know, oh, like like corn on the cob. Not like that at all. It's like a grainy, yeah. uh, starchy thing, but with that sweet backbone, that malt backbone, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of barrel character in there too. It 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 just really sets the tone for what you're going to be where you're going to be tasting. It's not uh, super aggressive. It's very, um, I don't know how to describe it. I'm not sure that I've had a, a bourbon where it's reminded me of, uh, like, opening up the door on a, a corn silo. Like, getting like that, just like... Sure, we've all uh, done that. Dry, I, mean. Yeah. I mean, I knew that's what you were thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I used to live in the corn silo. <laughs> a yeah. lot of bourbons... I'm the Harry Potter of corn. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah. A lot of bourbons will have that big burn on the front or the big burn on the back. This is so nice and smooth, yeah, and, and especially I, for a three-year-old product. Yeah, and I think that... that that corn aroma is kind of either containing or hiding or whatever, but it is making it very much more approachable, I think, than than a normal, normal. Where's the uh, there's the bottle? Uh, yep. 
So this is uh, 24 months, it says on the is bottle it, here? Yeah. Yep. It, it ranged, so uh, barrels in this range from two years to about three and a half years old. We're okay. only a okay. four and a half year old distillery, so we're still working on aging. We're still aging everything up um, in the warehouse still. So if I claim to have a five-year-old whiskey, be a little suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. And, and uh, the term straight is something that you can only put on the label if it's a minimum of two years, correct? Correct. Correct. There's a couple other stipulations, but yeah, that's kind of the big thing is two years. What are the others? Uh, if it's a straight bourbon, well, if it's a straight whiskey in general, you can't have any additives or any flavorings that, uh, put into it. So uh, bourbon in and of itself is protected that way as well. So, but in a so lot of whiskeys, bourbon, that, it's only two years. Yeah, with, with bourbon, it means two years. Um, but with other whiskeys, that straight term has a little bit more meaning. Okay. I really enjoy this. It, I am getting some of those kind of darker, almost berry-like flavors that you guys were talking about. And you said that's from the Bloody Butcher Corn? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I I get it's I don't want to say dried cranberry but it's like if the dried cranberry wasn't super tart and aggressive like dried cranberries can be hmm. um, or sweet but it's just the I don't know what the skin maybe of the cranberry so like the tannin I, you, you know what I'm trying to say it's not yeah, yeah, bright definitely. it's not aggressive it's not tart it's not tangy but it tastes like that kind of just like dark fruity esters kind of thing yeah hmm. yeah that's, like it. that's really good thank you is this only those two types of corn, and there aren't there isn't any barley or rye or anything else in this. There's no barley in there, but there is going to be some rye. Okay. There's going to be some. It, so our bourbons have all four of those corn mash bills. Um, the rye and then one of the other corns are going to be backed off at a lower percentage in, in this particular uh, blend. Mm. Uh, the next one we do, it's going to be it's going to flip flop. So the the purple corn and the bloody butcher are going to be on the the lower proportion, and we'll have rye and something called flint corn uh, kind of coming out in the forefront. And so you, hopefully you'll be able to see the the difference between those those flavors right out the gate. Okay, mm. which one should we try next? Uh, Promethean. Promethean. Here we go. I dig these little bottles, man. They're little like uh, you know pocket to travel size. The sample bottle, yeah. <laughs> so we, we like those. Uh, they they travel really well too. Like you said, so. slip in your back pocket yeah. and uh, go yeah. to town. Easy to hold on to while you're driving. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> They've so, got that little uh, little bow in the glass, so you can slide it in your hip pocket. Too. Yeah, exactly. Do you sell them like that or, or no? No, that that's more for for sample purposes yeah. for you guys. So we we only I do the one full size bottle. Um, that's the 750 milliliter bottles. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we all have Promethean now in our glass. Tell me a little bit about this guy. Uh, so Promethean was the second whiskey that we released. Um, it's going to be 103, 103 proof. So it's kind of the middle range of proofs for us. Uh, we tend to lean on the high, high proof. Just that's what Jonathan and I like. So most of our whiskeys tend to be higher proof. Um, so this one, as you said, leans a little bit higher. It has a little bit more rind and the final mash bill in the blend, um, as well as that flint corn, which uh, flint corn, if you're not familiar with, is almost a little bit more like popcorn. So um, it's actually a little bit, when it comes off the still, it's a little bit spicier of a, of a, of a, uh, of a distillate. Yeah, this one in okay. particular, it, we, we kiddingly say sometimes that it gives us flavors like a, like a Mexican chocolate. So it's like chocolate and cayenne pepper sprinkled on top. Hmm. So yeah, I can definitely pick up a little bit of the, the spicy cayenne heat that you're talking about. And there's definitely mm-hmm. a lot less of the yeah. light, fruity corn 
characteristics. We say this guy goes on the dark side. (laughs) This is the darker side of bourbon. So when we, when we're blending it, we're looking for the tobacco, the prune, a little bit more spice to it. And I don't know if it's because you said it, but now I get the Mexican chocolate, like the kind of milk chocolate, like really creamy, uh, which is kind of weird to be talking about the bourbon is creamy, but. And that's, uh, I know we, we tend to get a lot of mouthfeel out of our whiskeys. Just one, they're pot still with a, giant Scottish style pot still with a pretty sharp downward angle off the top of it. So it's going to allow a lot of those oils to come through on the, in the distillate. So it makes a little bit, it's a little bit more mouthfeel. And then everything from us is non-chill filtered too. So it's going to maintain a little bit more creaminess in the, in the feel velvety. Do you guys use uh, the same types of barrels for all of your uh, aging? No, that's a great question. Actually. Um, We have a pretty wide variety of barrels. So, First and foremost, we, we don't use just American oak. I will also use European oak. Um, I did throw one bourbon or one barrel of French oak away too. So uh, I had to do that kind of in the in the cover of night because <laughs> French oak's expensive and they didn't want bourbon. <laughs> and so we actually, so we, we have a wide range of different chars and toasts that we use. Um, primarily though, we use um, like char one, uh, or char two barrels. Uh, we like, especially with, with the heat here in Texas, um, the higher charred barrels, it tends to uh, be more reductive than actually helping out the whiskey. So, I mean, even when we pull whiskey from the same basically style of barrel from two different chars right next to each other, they're going to be much lighter and have actually have less flavor in the higher chars. So we prefer mm-hmm. char one, maybe do a, a toast before it gets charred. Um, but definitely uh, prefer the lower lower end of the char spectrum. Mm. That is really unusual as well. There's so many of the distilleries I go into, they're just like, hey, I throw it in, that into New American Oak Char 4. There's no questions about it. Everything goes into that. Wow. Where, yeah, a few years ago I was there and had one of their whiskeys that came out of a Char 1. It, they said it was a toast slash Char 1. It's beautiful. You get a lot of those subtle, berry, fruity flavors on your nose and your palate. When do you make that choice? Do you wait until it's coming off the still and, and as you're tasting it, decide what, what kind of barrel it's going to go into? Normally when we're doing experiments, we, we started out with kind of a shotgun approach. Um, and we would basically take four different styles of barrels and then put distillate in those guys and kind of see how those turned out. And so from that, we have specific mash bills normally get paired with, with specific cooperage. Um, so like we, we like to put our purple corn mash bill in European oak. Um, it goes perfectly well in American oak, uh, but there's there's kind of a, a combination of uh, baking spice notes that you get out of both of them that we uh, really, really like. Um, it builds the complexity dramatically by putting that one in European oak. Absolutely. Yeah, I get that. Man, I add a little water to this, mm-hmm. just a, just a little oh, skosh. Yeah, yeah. And I and I and again, I don't know if it's because the the boy said it already, but that some of that <laughs> more, chocolate. No, more chocolate, a little bit, but like like cocoa powder, hmm. uh, and maybe it's more of the tannin and kind of those dark leathery flavors. But okay. uh, I I don't know. It's, it's something I've never had before. Can can you put a whiskey in a French oak barrel and call it bourbon, or does it have to be yep. American oak? Oh, yeah, okay. actually, the regulations just say it has to be in a brand new chart oak container. Okay, doesn't so, specify where the. Oak I love the word container. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
and because of that, some people are making square barrels and their square containers and putting whiskey in them. But uh, how does that come out? I, I mean, is it is there a, a a shape difference? You know, but with how the 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 kind of liquid matures we inside. Well, well, square the, is different than a circle. Typical round barrel. Uh, it actually allows for airflow underneath them when you rack them. Okay. Um, and that airflow is actually pretty important uh, as, as far as kind of uh, moving out the, the stagnant air from in between those barrels. You're going to get a lot better, uh, basically, transition of, of air from inside the barrel to outside. Um, and so, basically, it's kind of like refreshing them. Uh, that, that, that way you don't get kind of that, that just stagnant uh, alcohol sitting in there. Um, so that's that's something that we were more kind of was kind of uh, drilled into us by Nancy Fraley on on the brandy side. I'm so. just I'm just going to chop an oak tree down and drill it out the center <laughs> and char that and that's where I'll store when I open my distillery. Yeah. That's how I'm going to age it my beer just in trees. Do that. <laughs> yeah, it might all evaporate, but yeah. you'll have done it. <laughs> or zigzag, I don't know. I mean, we're going to try new stuff. Why not? Yeah. Let's throw some money at it. Do you guys uh do any temperature control for your uh barrel storage being in Texas? Uh, the only barrel, the only temper control we do um, is since the barrel warehouse does have a sprinkler system in it, we do maintain it above 40 degrees, uh, just because we don't want it to free the lines to freeze and cause all sorts of havoc in the barrel room. Um, but other than that, we kind of let nature do it do its thing here. Now our building is insulated, um, so it's not going to get quite the drastic temperatures that you're going to see in South Texas, like uh, down out like a Balcones or a Garrison Brothers. Um, so we have a much more, we have a fairly, I would say, quite a bit more moderate of a conditions than what they're going to have. But we still do have, see like a nine percent angel per year. So I mean, it's still still quite drastic the amount that we lose, the amount of action that we see in the in the in the warehouse in the course of a year, which is actually what's caused us. We've uh, just recently, uh, over the last basically starting last year, started shifting a little bit more and more. To larger barrels, so the standard size is the 53 gallon. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, moved up to 63 gallon. Um, the one that will help kind of slow down the extraction rate a little bit, and also also help us out a little bit with angel share. So, because our goal is uh, not to get whiskey out as quickly as possible, ours um, we've kind of had again from the you know Nancy and from Uber kind of got beat into us the uh, the notion of slowing things down and taking your time, and so. Mm-hmm goal is to have six and eight year old whiskeys and basically it's been the first couple of years have really been experimentation on our side is how do we get there given where we're at in the world um, you know. one of the concepts that uh nancy fraley talks about regularly is elevage is it's like these are your babies and how do you raise them up and, okay. You know, the goal isn't just to abuse, get... really. But <laughs> yeah. the goal isn't just to get to two years as fast as you can. The goal is to make the best spirit at the end of this time and, right. and do what's right for that spirit, that barrel, that that aging process. Okay, so no, so I should stop screaming at my kid, right? <laughs> Hurry up, do the things I'm telling you to do. Get a job. Yeah. <laughs> well, that must be difficult because you want to push out spirits to sell. You want to make money at this thing. This is what you're doing it ideally. for. Yeah, ideally, right? <laughs> uh, but you also want to have enough to age. So how do you find that balance? It's it's a tough, tough balance to find. I mean, when you're running a business and having to stay in business. But 
for us, it's always been making sure we're producing enough that we know that we can slowly start selling whiskeys. Like we, we just started to do larger and larger releases. So, I mean, if you look at the Promethean label on it, it says 16 months old. The reality is that whiskey is actually much older than that. It's, I think I crossed theirs out. Okay. Have to correct so, it. So yeah, <laughs> if people out there see a Promethean on the shelf, the age statement on the bottle will say 16 months. Okay, yeah, this says two years. Yeah, the youngest is going to, from this last batch, I think was 28 or 29 months. I just wrote two years two on years it. Two years, so. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so the, basically we are going to turn uh, the Promethean into a straight whiskey. Um, that is one thing that if we didn't have the government shut down that we would be getting changed right now. But uh, so until then, we're going to be we're going to use our old labels uh, and just give people a little bit of extra age uh, without them knowing it. So, okay. <laughs> all right, fair enough. I like that. So our so our goal in the way that we do release is that every time we release a whiskey, it will be older than the last iteration of that particular whiskey, um, and, and hopefully tastier. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's always the goal. Yes. Um, but right. so that's. Uh, generally, it's you know three or four months older than the last release that we did um, of that particular uh, whiskey itself. Okay, ah, barrel management. I never. I, I don't know. It's something I never really thought about. Hmm. How does how does a young <laughs> distillery push out old product while still making money and right. pushing out current product? Yeah, you have we bills to pay. We basically look at that barrel room like a, like a big savings account. Um, so <laughs> right. a lot of capital out front to, mm. to put it in there, but knowing it's going to pay off eventually, so. Realistically, we've been overproducing for the last year or two for what what we're actually putting out into the market, mm -hmm. knowing full well that it, we need it to age up. Right, right. Did you guys just sell a lot of moonshine uh, the first couple of years, or how, what did you guys do to? We did make vodka. It we did gin. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what we do. Do you still do those lines, vodka and gin, and? Uh, we do a little bit of gin and vodka still. Moonshine's pretty much uh, over and done with. Yeah. Um, once we had aged whiskey, there's not not a whole lot of reason for for the unaged spirit to be out there on the market. We still have it at the distillery and use it in cocktails and stuff like that. Okay. Um, pretty much, the main focus is on the aged spirits and ultimately the brandy when it comes out and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. The the, the care you're putting into the mash bill is carrying through to the barrel selection, and you want those notes to be, uh, you know, to be noticed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That. Uh, What's the timeline on the brandy? Twenty years from now? <laughs> yeah, they haven't even offered me any yet. Jeez. The brandy right now is four years old. Uh, again, we keep tasting it every year and just kind of we're just holding and holding and holding because that's the brandy is really more of a passion project for us. It's not something we're ever going to make any real money on just because the cost of grapes versus grain is. Yeah, raw material cost for us right now. I can make ten barrels of, of bourbon or one barrel of brandy. Wow! <laughs> and, and then and sell ten times as much as well. The price points flipped on it when you go to sell it, so it's worth, worth more than brandy right now in the U.S. So wow! But this love affair with brandy, and obviously with all the training we've been doing, so it's uh, slowly putting more and more barrels of brandy away. I think ultimately it'll become like a seven or eight year old Solera that we'll be doing ultimately with it. So. Oh, that sounds cool. Can't wait. Yeah, that sounds really great. Uh, let's try our third spirit, Warren. All right. Absolutely. Um, next up's going to be Harbinger, the big one. So it's going to be right. 115 proof. Woo. All right. Tell me a little about this guy. So now we're going, going back to the purple corn and bloody butcher corn emphasis. All right. uh, you have a little bit more European oak in the in this blend than you do for the uh, the regular uh, from the XC. Slightly older, too. Yeah, and it's going to be slightly older whiskey. 
in the future, I hope to push the age statement up on this uh, much more so than the 90, 90 proof version. It does have less of uh, kind of the wood sugars and the vanilla mm-hmm. characteristics that uh, the X, XC did. Wow. And so is this a barrel strength? Is this what it comes out? Not not quite. Not quite. Um, Just under. Yeah, more for logistical reasons with distributors and pushing stuff out, we decided to kind of standardize the, the proof on it. Um, and, and so it, it's going to be – the original versions were coming out of the barrel. 116. Yeah, we did 116.5 and 118.5 and then finally 115. So It is so surprising how much that one proof – one or two proof difference makes in, in how the spirit comes across. When that's for us, we, we found that 115 is a proof that even people that aren't used to cast strength, like it's not so beyond what they can handle. And yet it's still going to carry a lot of the flavor that you're going to see in those, uh, in the cast strength whiskeys. For us, we do a little bit lower, uh, um, uh, entry proof on the barrels. Um, just because uh, we like a little, some of those softer notes you get with a little bit more water in the barrel versus the you know what you pull out at 125. All right, does uh, the proof typically go up in your barrel? It does. Okay. So, so and, and as we're increasing our age statements, the proof was going to continue to go up and up and up. And so by the time we start getting into 120, 121 proof range, it uh, it cuts a, a little bit of the, the bourbon population out of there on what they can what they can handle. Mm-hmm. That's a great that's a great spirit, man. Yeah, that is very com- very complex, uh, sweet but not overly sweet. I want, does, does that corn you think kind of lend a little dryness as well, or am I making that up? It does and European oak also helps out a lot. Oh, so okay. European right. oak in contrast to the American oak is going to have a little bit more tannin content. Uh, it's going to have a little bit reduced vanilla that you're going to pull out of it. Mm-hmm. And then it also, it doesn't have kind of a, a typical, they call it a, a coconut note um, that you get in the, in the American oak. So okay. it, it doesn't have the same structure. So it's missing the lactone to have that flavor, period. Um, so okay. it's, um, it, it dries it out a little bit. Which when you're dealing with mash bowls are a lot higher percentage of corn, it really helps out on balancing it out that we've we've found, and that's why we use about thirty or forty percent of our barrels are actually European oak. Wow! Hmm. All right. Yeah, you, you don't find it real typically uh, for yeah. people to use the European oak. Um, I mean, aside from just flavor profile differences, uh, it is a little more expensive, and so uh, if you only make bourbon at your facility, it, it's a problem because you're you're you know it's, if it's two or three times the cost in barrels, it, it doesn't make much sense. But because we make the, the corn whiskey, because we're, we actually laid down some single malt, we don't have any out yet, um, and we've got a couple other projects that are going to go into used casts, um, it makes more financial sense for us to do that. Mm. I do like the blend versus uh, some some corn whiskeys, just it, with the sweetness of the corn and the heavy vanillins and everything, it just becomes too sweet to me. And I really like how you guys are blending in some of the European oak to kind of cut that with some extra tannins. Thank you. Yeah, that's delicious. Yeah. I mean, because you, you look at the thing, you go, oh, man, 115. Uh, this is yeah. going to be a huge thing. And, you know, it, it is. Don't get me wrong. There's a, <laughs> there's yes. a lot of heat there, but there's a lot of flavors. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's kind of encased in this very flavorful container 
of of the corn and the sweetness and the barrel and everything kind of just comes out right and it's all elevated it's all accentuated i couldn't pick out necessarily one thing sticking out way more than anything else and it, some spirits i've tasted you can kind of get that it's a little sharp around the edges yeah. but this is it's full bodied it's in your face but it's all sort of on the same curve that yeah, makes sense. And I, I think it is that thing that's so unusual that they are using American oak and French oak and blending it together, which adds just so much complexity to it, where you it, it, it doesn't stick on one flavor in your mouth the whole way through. On the beginning, the middle, and the end, you're tasting different things as it yeah. goes through your palate. Yeah, yeah. This is wonderful. You guys are doing a good job out there. Thanks. You know, if if my if my uh, if my compliments mean anything, uh, hey, can you uh, hang on for just a sec? I need to take a quick break, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll finish up. Is that cool? Sure. All right. Sure. All right. Awesome. Hang on, everybody. This is Heads and Tails. We're talking with Iron Root Republic Distillery in Denison, Texas. We're almost done. Quick break. We'll come right back. Polish up. Everything will be good. Yeah. Two more whiskeys. That's right. All right, everybody. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us through the break. We're here, of course, with Jonathan and Robert from Iron Root Republic Distillery. Distillery. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the, the bourbon's real good. Yeah. Hey, uh, up the proof on these guys. Come on. <laughs> We're about to. No, no. Distillering. It's a new. It's a new topic I have. A new conversation. That's um, how we do Texas. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, all right. What's the? Uh, we have two two final uh, yes. spirits to, to run through. What should we do first? Do hubris goes first on, on out of these two. Hubris. All right. So this one's labeled as a corn whiskey, and we've been having bourbon. So right. What, what is the difference? So basically, um, when you have corn whiskey, where let's start with bourbon. So bourbon has to be fifty one percent corn put into that brand new charred oak barrel and made in the United States. In order for it to be corn whiskey, corn whiskey has to be 80% corn, but that's actually not the big difference. Most of our bourbons have more than 80% corn in them. The big difference is in the cooperage. So it has to go into either a used charred barrel or a non-charred non barrel. So it can go into, say, a toasted barrel if you wanted to. Um, we don't have a whole lot of toasted barrels sitting around here. So for us, it pretty much means it goes into our used bourbon barrels. Okay. So hubris specifically is going to be our purple corn mash bill aged exclusively in European oak. Um, so this is going to give you a really good idea when we're talking about how that, that marriage of those to that mash bill and that, that cooperage, like we felt just went perfectly together. This is that the purest expression of that. So the story kind of behind hubris is uh, we were starting out, you know, we're about a year and a few months old at that time. And we we're tasting through barrels and with Nancy Fraley, and we ran into this one barrel that was just what we felt was fantastic and, and, and absolutely wonderful. And so uh, I talked my brother into dumping that barrel and then submitting it into a competition because I thought it was fantastic. And um, again, so that's where Jonathan said I was foolish and that, you know, it's a. <laughs> 16 months, it was at 16 month old whiskey at the time. I said it was hubris to enter that. So, <laughs> and so 
Uh, we ended entered ended up entering into a couple competitions, and it just did fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the first one it hit was San Francisco World Spirits Competition. And yeah, double gold, one best in class there. On wow. Skis. So I said, I guess we named it right. <laughs> <laughs> And then it went on to the World Whiskey Awards, that's Whiskey Magazine's competition, and it won Best Corn Whiskey in the World. So it was, so we're like, all right, we definitely named it correctly. And so wow. it became a, a staple thing that we release every year now. Um, and so this is, uh, again, it's one of my favorite releases we do every year. It's a fairly small release. We only do a few barrels of it a year, generally released in December. Um, and for us, it always sells out at the distillery that day. And then when it hits the market, it's generally a few months and it's gone. So talk about hitting a grand slam out the yeah. door. Woo. Well, and it's, it's funny cause it, it's one of those things, it's corn whiskey. And so corn whiskey is kind of like the redheaded stepchild of, of whiskey world, which is fitting with us making it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and so it's just something that we kind of fell in love with. And so I, well, then we'll talk about how that kind of evolves into Icarus uh, when we get to it. Yeah, kind of the journey with, with corn whiskey, it's, it, it's like Robert was saying, it, it's always kind of been uh, almost a demonized side of, of age spirit. So it's, you know, often referred to as corn liquor, yeah. uh, things yeah. like that. And so uh, the whole kind of concept with, with doing a, a corn whiskey and, and, and trying to do it well and trying to kind of elevate that category um, there's been a, a few people who have uh, kind of started down that path before us, and um, um, that kind of some of those acted as mentors to us as well. And so, but we we want to kind of continue that tradition. Um, and so you'll see it in this product, and then you'll see as we transition into the next one. The the bottle that we have says it was aged 29 months. What do you think uh, has changed between the 16 month that that won all those awards and this one? Um, this one's richer. Um, it's honestly, it's a lot deeper of the spirit. Um, it's gotten obviously a little bit more oak. I mean, you can just tell just off the color. Uh, this is a used barrel and it's still giving that much color. Wow. Yeah. But it's just, it's a little bit heavier, bigger, bolder version of that original spirit. And that, I'd say that that's because every year we always taste it against that very first one, what we're okay. choosing, what we're looking at doing. Okay. And yeah. So. All right, and when we're sitting at the blending table, if we don't think it's better than that first one, then it doesn't, it, it won't get released. So it's that's that's always our goal is to make sure it's better than the ones we've previously released. This isn't one of necessarily your flagships. How, ma how many flagships do you guys have that are available year round versus um, the two year round ones? ones are going to be Promethean and then the XC? Okay, um, the other three are going to be Harbinger. We're actually released quite a bit more of that this year than we did last year. Um, so it should be like two, maybe three releases this year uh, of that. Uh, we're actually getting ready to do another release of it here in in April. And then around the country, um, we just started shipping stuff to Total Wine. So it actually, the Total Wines around the country now should have a little bit of the, the Harbinger the 115 proof on shelf right now. Yeah, they, they should get the pair of Harbingers. So the set. Aren't you guys like tiny what are you what are you doing in total wines across the country what's going on over there um you know it's one of those things that we've we've been really fortunate through uh you know uh, you know making good whiskey and having pe the right people find us at the right time yeah <laughs> it's one of those things like uh, uh one of the stories you don't have this whiskey in front of you um because it's uh, technically not our whiskey um anymore but it's uh <laughs> it was yeah we, we, we yeah. sent it over to to be bottled for them yeah. um, we actually do a product with berry brothers and rudd over in the uk 
uh, called Texas Legation. Okay. Um, and it's it's a crazy product that they uh, Barry short story on it. Barry Brothers and Rudd's been around since six, like 1698, in which is ungodly long time to be in the same building. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think about that. But in 1842, they rented out their second floor of their their building to the country of Texas <laughs> as part of the embassy that, that was close to the the royal palaces. And so to honor that, they wanted to release a Texas whiskey. So they had been searching for a true 100% made in Texas whiskey for a number of years. And so they sent us an email, and it was a couple days before Christmas a couple of years ago. Um, again, it's right around the time, actually it was before Hubris had won any of the awards. And we sent them a couple of barrel samples, and we were like, you know, kind of, we hadn't even released whiskey ourselves, and we were like, you know, you know, why not shoot shoot the breeze a little bit? And yeah. next thing I know, we're getting a phone call with a guy with a heavy Scotch accent telling us how much he liked our whiskey, <laughs> and that they wanted to do a, a product where they do their own blend of our whiskey. And so um, every year we send them barrel samples, and they kind of come up with their own blend of our different mash bills, and then they release that as Texas Legation around around the world. So that's sold in the UK and. France, Germany, and Taiwan. Taiwan is there. That's a cool story. Yeah, it's it's crazy <laughs> that you know, there's a lot of countries we can go to actually find our whiskey. <laughs> how, that's got to be a trip. I mean, how, I'm impressed that we should. Yeah. <laughs> is that? Did you ever just sit and think about that? Like over, you know, over a drink at the end of the day? Like, man, we're we're pumping out world class spirits and that you can find internationally like five years ago if someone if i had told you that that this is going to be happening to you five years from now there's would you believe that i mean that's a crazy story i would have laughed at you i mean that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard right but you guys are doing it that's i think that's amazing and now you guys are ambassadors to the country of texas again (laughs) that's right congratulations (laughs) on your appointment um, for the release of the first batch they actually uh, flew the texas flag uh, over the top of the, the store. <laughs> <laughs> These people sound crazy. As they should. They sound <laughs> insane. <laughs> They're like a block away from St. James Palace, so they had to ask permission from the crown um, in order to fly the Texas flag. Otherwise, I guess it would be an act of war. <laughs> right. They didn't, they didn't want to start anything. <laughs> yeah, we're back. <laughs> oh, geez, that would be narrowly missing an international <sighs> incident. Yeah. Right. That alone is pretty. Ah, man, That's that. I like that story a lot. That's a good story, man. Uh, all right, let's hit this Icarus. All right, yeah. Staring at me, my my Greek roots are uh, are a rooting. Are rooting for this. You Icarus. guys already polished off the hubris. Yes, Woo, I'm I'm all yeah. behind. Well, polished is relative. <laughs> well, yeah, we're not we're not uh, finishing these by by any means. But, that's for uh, after the show. That's right. You should have said that well, before we started. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh, yeah. yeah, look, we're from California. We don't really go very hard, but yeah. Eric is here. He's pounding them. So eating all these soybeans doesn't give us a good base. <laughs> That's true. Our, uh, <laughs> um, it's actually called edamame. Okay. Oh, sorry, Can I'm you, a transplant. Yeah, geez, what's going on with you? It's not food shame here. <laughs> uh, all right, Icarus. What's uh, what's special about this one? So this this guy was developed uh, actually out in California. We were there we up go. there with Nancy Fraley drinking. She has uh, you need to get her on the show because she will bring some crazy old Armagnacs around. Because I'm ready she for has it. The best collection of Armagnac. If you're ever interested in that spirit, I really I am actually the best yeah. collection. Period. Way to wow. ruin the surprise, guys. <laughs> <laughs> she might be coming up. Well, she's got stuff that was made in the 1800s, and so we're Jeez. out there. Enjoying that, enjoying a nice California night, 
And uh, Jonathan kind of got a crazy idea. He was, we were talking about how, again, how corn whiskey is kind of the, you know, the redheaded stepchild of the whiskey world. I like to refer to it as the popper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and if you think of what, what's the most highly regarded whiskey category, and that's going to be scotch. And so we were like, well, what, what would happen if someone were to take a corn whiskey and treat it like it was a high-end scotch? So popper to prince, basically. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And so, um, well, what what are some of the tenets of some the Scotch whiskeys? Well, what Jonathan and I love in Scotch whiskey generally, um, I really love big peat, and he loves a lot of the wine finished casts. So we're like, well, why don't we do something that incorporates both those things that are so great about Scotch whiskey? Yeah. And so we ended up taking some hubris. And well, Nancy got really yeah. excited at this point. She started breaking out graduated cylinders and beakers. <laughs> uh, yeah. We were probably on our about 13th uh, yeah. really old Armagnac at that point. So she uh, she busted that out and some of the Huber's corn whiskey um, that you guys tried a second ago mm-hmm. and we got to work. Yeah. So. And so what we ended up doing is taking Huber's and we will actually take it after a couple of years and we will put it in um ex isla peated uh, malt barrels okay mm-hmm. some of it will go in an old port barrel that we have a big port port by 500 liter yeah. tiny port yeah from 1976 wow okay big old yeah. barrel um, it's the sexiest thing Jeez. and so we will age it in there we actually aged this guy in there for over over a year in those barrels okay we took it back out of those barrels blended it back together and then put it back in its original barrels and have now let it rest another five, six months now. Um, and so that's what you're tasting right now. It's something that I think we're getting ready to release here in April or, or May. Yes, yeah, so, so the one I sent you is actually a barrel sample out of one of those uh, uh-huh. barrels. And I, I think it was about 35 months old when you, when I sent it to you guys. Um, so it's it'll be celebrating its third birthday. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, right now, almost as old as my son. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a better way to uh, toast this uh, spirit than to drink it. Yeah, there that's go. good. Cheers. I love that Pete character coming through. That is, that is rad. Yeah, and I really appreciate the 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 port character in there too. Because sometimes, to me, I, I'm I'm I love Scotch, but go heavy on the peat, and I'm not the biggest fan. But but the port character really helps. With, with the peat in this, and it's really yeah, nice. it does like sweeten it up a bit, or yeah, yeah. I haven't it been is. the biggest fan of the the big peaty scotches, and uh, this is definitely your gateway into those. It's it's peaty, but it's not over the top, blowing yeah. out your senses, smoke, campfire type thing. It's just a nice nice flavor in the rest of the flavors, but, but it, it's still somehow very American. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's that we appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> That's very that, Texan. Yeah, you got that. You got the smoke, but you got that big malt. You got that spice coming through. Also, mm. you got some of that heat, and you know, not that everything um, you know made in America has to be like in your face or whatever. But mm. it's a very nice balance. I mean, considering it's a barrel sample, I guess yeah. it's fine. But. Um, it's, it, you guys have hit a really a really delicate balance. I, th- I would think that'd be very hard to, to blend, but uh, it tastes like you did it. Yeah. This one actually took us, uh, we've been blending for six months on this particular one using a lot of the techniques that we, we got uh, from the brandy side of things. Um, and so we're pretty happy with it. It, it actually kind of flips things on the head where I'm, I'm kind of the gas on the creative side and Rob's more the break on the business side. <laughs> right. 
I become the break on this one because he wants to add more and more Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that, man. I really like Pete. Mm. I'm not do. opposed to it. It's just uh, I'm all about the balance on this one. <laughs> yeah. This and makes me really want some good smoky barbecue. Blend. It just, like, you can blend it, and then it, sometimes it'll hide itself for a little bit, and then if you let it sit for a day or two, that's when it will start showing itself again. So mm. one of those things you're like, oh, what if we add a little bit more peat here? Well, then we have to wait a day or two before we can actually go back and test it. Okay. Um, okay. Not to mention when you're tasting a bunch of peated stuff in a row, you become kind of immune to peat or you taste it less. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, sure. It's like a it's, mutant ability. Yeah, the more I drink it, the more <laughs> I'm going to peat. That's, uh, that's, that's, Man, how, how do you think this would pair with barbecue, Warren? I think it may be oh. too much. Uh, I think I will, I will have way too much barbecue and way too much of this <laughs> whenever I do pair it. I always call this snooty barbecue in a glass. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. So, so it, the, it took six months for the blending. Is that just because of, of the, the kind of palate fatigue and needing to go slow with, with tasting? Okay. And there's that. Um, and like Robert said, there's a little bit of time delay and, and seeing how that peat is actually going to settle out. Mm. And so we would just take a little bit out of each barrel and kind of adjust the blend. And, um, yeah, we, we finally got it to where we, we liked it and and then put it back into its original cast just to kind of gain a little bit of, of oxidation on it. So, Wow. Well, I tell you what, guys, these are all really, really good. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. They're really good. I, I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, you know, you're bringing some different flavors to the game. And uh, keep, I don't want to say keep doing it. Like I'm encouraging, you know, but uh, cheerleader. pinch your cheek. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. But I really appreciate it, yeah. man. It's uh, it, it, I, I like this kind of movement in craft spirits now to just bring different flavors to the table and see what else we can sort of get away with, I guess. I say we like, I'm, like I'm doing oh. anything. <laughs> like you're and and, and so yeah. we, we can find your stuff out here, too. Like you said, you're in Total Wine. And so yeah. so everybody else can also find you. Correct. Yeah, you should be able to find us in Total Wine. At least the the Harbinger line will be in Total Wine out there, right? Should be right now. I just got a message from someone in Tucson yesterday saying they found it. So it's in there. Awesome. And uh, people can come out and see you, right? You have like tours and a whole facility for visitors, right? Oh yeah, we do every Saturday at one. We do a tour. We tours the first Saturday of the month. We have like a big Bloody Mary bar. Cocktail lounge, food trucks, you know, the whole, Damn. whole thing. Um, it's a lot of a lot of fun. And then um, and a couple times a year, we actually host something we call Whiskey Camp. Um, that people can come out and basically spend, a, a, you know, a, a day with us distilling, tasting stuff off the still, learning about what the different oaks do and how whiskeys change over time in barrels. It's a, a lot of fun, and it's uh, definitely one of the, our most fun weekends whenever we do it because you get to hang out with people for the whole day and just drink a lot of whiskey. Great. I love camping. Yeah. <laughs> and whiskey. Yeah. I don't necessarily like hanging out with a bunch of people, but, uh, you know, uh, that sounds like a blast to me. Yeah. I think right. the only camping aspect is really we, we put a fire in the fire pit out for us. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to take a car to the, to the hotel. I'm, right. I'm yes. you know, I'm, that's generally how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good off of that. Uh, all right. Uh, Jonathan and Robert from Iron Root Republic in Denison, Texas. And you can find more. Uh, what is your, your URL? I had it up right now. It's ironrootrepublic.com. I appreciate you guys joining us. I appreciate the samples. Uh, everything's really great. You guys were a hoot. And, uh, if we're ever out in that area, we'll definitely stop by. And if you're ever here, come on in, we'll do a live show. Awesome. Sounds good. Either way. Sounds, sounds outstanding. Awesome. Thanks guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. That was cool. It was good stuff. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 
this actually kind of inspired me to get back into bourbon. I'd kind of written it off as just boring. Uh, what? This oh. is, uh, that wasn't me. That was Eric. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're they're uh, an outlier in there. Not, oh, okay. There's not a lot of bourbons that taste like this. There's uh, no bourbons where they are aging them in French oak that I know of, but maybe there are some out there. Okay, so then maybe I won't get back into bourbon, and <laughs> just, I'll just have this. Stay in these. Yes, stay in these. <laughs> oh, yes. okay. All right. But I think for the most part, we have to go to Texas to get them, which mm. I'm okay with doing that. Okay. That's a, that's a trip. It's a, a definitely a trip, that. dude. Yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah. All right, we're going to get out of here, everybody. Thanks a lot again to Jonathan and Robert from Iron Root Republic. Licorice yes. Brothers. The Licorice Brothers. If you're ever out there, Denison, Texas, North Texas, definitely hit them up. Go online uh, and check out their facility. It looks beautiful. Yeah. And uh, thanks to Air from ADI for hanging out with us and, and drinking some of these spirits. And until next time, we'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.